0: We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. Hey, good morning, a special good morning to my One Church Teal family, a warm welcome to everyone who's joining us online. Last week, we had 2,700 people in our gatherings, and we're glad you're here with us. As Pastor Matt mentioned, we're starting this two-week series on vision, a vision for others and a vision for ourselves even. So an inside vision and an outside vision. Now, why vision? Well, in these difficult times and pressure-filled and stressful moments, it's vision that helps get us through these moments. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, that without vision, the people perish. Or I like the translation of the message version. It says this, if people can't see what God's doing, they'll stumble all over themselves. And maybe... That's critically important when, especially in circumstances that, like we're in, if you can't see what God's doing, people take matters into their own hands and we begin to stumble all over ourselves. Friends, I know you know this, um, this is a tough season for many of us. Some of you have never been more alone. Others of you, you can't find a moment alone. And I feel for my introvert and extrovert friends because if you're an extrovert and you are literally physically all alone, this is a very scary and discombobulating time in your life. But if you're an introvert and you can't find a moment alone, you might want to strangle the people around you even this morning. It can feel like that. In fact, one of our staff members who's a you know, self-proclaimed extrovert, she sent this to me and I, I loved it. She said, introverts, please Put down your book and check on your extrovert friends. They are not okay. So jump into the chat room. Tell us if you're an extrovert. We'll love on you today. If you're an introvert, I know the chat room feels like a foreign field, but you may want to jump in just to come alongside your extrovert friends and help them through this season. Now, I know for others of us, though, uh, the pressure we feel is even deeper than that. Some of you are wondering whether you have a job on the other side of COVID-19. Others of you, I know it's a pervasive anxiety that you feel every day through this. Almost like that low-grade type fever that can be in the background. And as much as you try to talk yourself off a ledge, the anxiety that is being invoked in this stage because you have a pre-existing health condition that makes you more vulnerable. Friends, what's on our mind? Safety, security, health, money. And what we start thinking about and what dominates our thinking starts to become our behaving. And that's why you'll see, it's ridiculous, but you see it online. People fighting over toilet paper. And Under different circumstances, under better circumstances, they wouldn't be fighting over toilet paper. They'd be passing it to the person who's asking for it. But here's the interesting thing. All this pressure and stress and even fear... What that does, it, it, it exposes the stress fractures in our lives that existed before COVID-19. Here's what I mean. Business Insider Magazine published this article, and it was about the divorce rate in China. Apparently, it has spiked over the last number of months. And in their words, uh, with so many people having been quarantined in close quarters, and the result of the epidemic, unforeseen consequence of the epidemic, many couples have been living at home with each other for months. And it has evoked underlining conflicts. And so the divorce rate just spiked because all of a sudden, people are all together all the time. Now, here's what you need to know, though that it wasn't COVID that caused the conflicts. It wasn't the confinement necessarily that caused the conflicts. It revealed the conflicts. Those stress fractures in those marriages would have been there pre-existing, but they get exasperated under the pressure and the stress and the demands and the fear and the worry. And it's true of all of us. You can see it in society and culture right now. I'm watching it in churches. Uh, You certainly quickly determine and clarify what's really important as we walk through this. And the stress fractures get revealed. And who are we depending on? Is our help coming from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth? Or are we looking to the mountains to somehow deliver us? Uh, You can see it in people. People begin to leak things in their life. You can see it in our healthcare system. The greater the pressure, we start to see where the stress fractures always were But under better circumstances, we were able to hide them. We were able to, they weren't as exposed to the world. You know, it's interesting. If you've traveled with one church TO for any length of time, you've probably heard me use this illustration because I love talking about relationships this way. I often say, you know, because you can know people, but do you know them? It's only when people get bumped do you see who they really are. Because when they get bumped, what's inside of them comes spilling out. What's spilling out of them was always in them. So friends, my question for you to think about as we go into our teaching time is, what's spilling out of you lately? What's spilling out of you lately? It's natural in moments like this to maybe feel some anxiety or fear. Uh, Sometimes what spills out of us in moments like this is more like frustration or even anger that we can be left feeling. But what's coming out of this Here's what we want to help you with these two weeks. What if you had a vision? What if you had a vision for what was coming out of you? What if we could change the stuff that was actually coming out of you? Because you developed a vision of a deeper, more meaningful, inner, and spiritual life. See, here's the beautiful, maybe, benefit, or it sounds even strange to even put it in that term, but... There's something amazing that can happen as we trust God in difficult circumstances. We create a dependence on him. And here's the truth. The more dependent you are on God the Father, the more life, the more resilient and stronger you become in this life. And Pastor Keith is going to help us with this next week, developing a vision for the inside of us. But this week, I want to talk about developing a vision for the outside of us. What about a vision in this season, going through this season? Because I don't want to just help you get through it. I want to help you get stronger on the other side of it. What if you had a vision for your family, a vision for your marriage, a vision for your neighbors, a vision for our city, a vision for our world that could actually expand and become stronger even in this difficult moment? See, here's the truth. If you have an inside vision, but you don't have an outside vision you're going to miss God's vision. Because God's vision is that you and I were never designed to just take care of ourselves and just take care of even our own immediate family. You and I have been designed to steward God's creation. That's why Jesus would remind us, and maybe we need to hear this in this moment. Jesus would remind us through COVID-19, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, The more fear and worry and anxiety that comes on our lives, the harder it is to follow this command. Really hard. Because we start to take care of us. We become more insular as we go through this. But followers of Jesus have made their reputation by the way they've loved their neighbors in moments of difficulty. Listen, we as a church, we don't exist to take or get. We exist to give and be generous. And so we get a chance to love our neighbors through this. But the equally could be said of if you have an outside vision, but you don't have an inside vision, you're in danger of becoming a lot like the Pharisees that Jesus talked about. Because you could be on the outside looking so generous and caring, but your family knows a different version of you. Jesus said, be careful, because you could become like a whitewashed tomb, is what he says, looking great on the outside and rotting in the core. And that's why I think in next week, we'll be looking at how we take care of the inside of us. But Jesus also reminds us this. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and spirit. So friends, I want to help us do both. uh, Inside and outside. Next week, Inside, this week, outside. If you've got your Bibles open, Luke chapter 3 or page 106 in your Jesus Project book, we're going to look at a fascinating portion of Scripture. Here, let's, let's jump right into it. It says this. It starts out this way. It says, about this time, Jesus. What time? Well, the time is Jesus has left his area where he operated in the Sea of Galilee area. He was a Galilean born in Nazareth. And so he's left that, and he's headed towards Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. This is near the end of his earthly life. And he's in Samaria. He's in between Galilee and Judea, and he's going through Samaria. He left Galilee. Galilee had become very dangerous. Herod Antipas was trying to kill him at this time. Samaria, where he was, was very dangerous. The Samaritans and the Jews did not get along, and there was a lot of racial tension. It was a very dangerous place for him to be. And he's on his way to Jerusalem. So, it says, about this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices at the temple. Now, get this picture. Jesus is going through Samaria. He's on the road with his disciples and a bunch of Galilean pilgrims. And someone comes up to him and tells him this story. Now, if the New Testament never mentioned Pilate, we would know about him because the a Jewish historian Josephus talks and chronicles a lot about his rulership in that first century and how he flexed his brutal brutality muscles often on the Jewish people. And in this account, he goes into the temple. He has his soldiers go into the temple and execute some Galileans as they're worshiping. Now ask yourself, why did these people stop Jesus on the road to Jerusalem to tell him this? Well, they were warning him. They were trying to warn him of what was waiting for him on the other side of this. See, uh, very much like the situation we find ourselves in, Jesus and his whole entourage, they're starting to feel the anxiety and the fear because the threats are real. I mean, if you know anything about Jesus and what has led up to this moment, this is a fearless man who has a target on his back. And he's headed towards Jerusalem and these people say, hey Jesus, be careful. And so Jesus is in this place and his followers know he's in this place. Hey, behind him is Herod Antipas trying to kill him. He's in Samaria, they don't like him there. And he's going to Jerusalem and they just killed some Galileans. And by the way, Jesus, you're a Galilean. But here's the amazing thing about Jesus. Jesus doesn't make decisions based on fear. Fear doesn't drive his decision making. What drives him is a higher ambition. He wants to please God, his father. He has a vision of what God has for him to do. And his vision is to serve people. It's powerful. Uh, I'm a little bit more on that later. So they come up to him and say this. This is how Jesus responds to these people. He says this. Do you think the Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people in Galilee? Jesus asked. Is that why they suffered? What is Jesus up to by responding this way? It seems like a funny response to their warning. But he knows them and he knows us. He knows that when we see people going through bad stuff, now maybe not an accident. People seem to get passes and accidents, but when we see people when we see people going through bad stuff, he knows that you and I, we get a little judgy at times, right? We see someone going through something tough and we think, well, you know, maybe he had it coming. Uh, he shouldn't have been there. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, you know, she, she was asking for it. Or sometimes we see things and people making bad choices and we think, oh, you know, wonder what their parents were like. And, you know, obviously it was a parenting issue. We get judgy sometimes when we see people going through bad experiences. Why do we do that? Well, in that first century culture, they had a cause and effect theology. They believed that if you experienced something bad, you must have done something. Someone did something to deserve that. In fact, you can see it throughout the New Testament narrative. In John chapter 9, his disciples bring this man who was blind since birth. And they said this to him, Rabbi or Jesus, who sinned? Who's to blame, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? In other words, someone has to have done something to do or deserve this. Someone must have done it because it couldn't just, it was someone's fault, right? Because God would not allow that to happen if something, if they hadn't done something wrong. And Jesus jumps right on this. And in fact, in the next verse, in verse four, he says this, and what about the 18 people who died when the tower of Siloam fell on them? Were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? And he kind of adds another narrative, another layer. And he's saying, do you think, and the Tower of Siloam would have been situated just to the south of the temple. And construction accidents, we don't know if the tower was fully uh, constructed or was under construction when this accident happened. But they weren't infrequent in that ancient culture with the engineering practices of that day. But it fell on them, 18 people died, and people were left questioning, why them? Why did that happen to them? Why didn't that happen to these other people? And he knows and he understands that we have those questions in life. Oh, were the people who were killed worse people than us? See, here's the thing. You and I have this narrative that runs in us. We all want fairness for us. We want to believe that bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people. And in that first century culture, that's what they believed in. It was cause and effect. Bad things happen to bad people. Good things happen to good people. So Jesus, they must have been sinners. They must have done something wrong. Whose fault is it? And Jesus answers us in 2020, and he answers them in that first century. In verse 5, he says this, no. No. Jesus, is it because those Galileans were worse than us? No. Is it because those 18 people deserved it? No, no, he says. See, apparently, a lot of life is like COVID nineteen, and it's no respecter as a person. We see the rich and the famous, the young and the healthy, are as susceptible to COVID nineteen as the poor and the obscure are, and the weak and the frail are. Friends, COVID nineteen is not a a, a, a Chinese virus. It's a human virus. It's a human thing that we're fighting together. Uh, There will always be elements that want to blame or want to highlight what did they do. Friends, wrong question. Jesus says, no, no. You know, it's fascinating, though, where he goes from there because it's a little shocking and I didn't suspect it and you probably wouldn't suspect it. People have stopped him on the road, warned him. He says, do you think these people were worse who died in the temple? Do you think these people are worse who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? No, and he goes on to say this, and I tell you again that unless you repent, you will perish too. And it's kind of like, what? (laughs) What? what are you talking about, Jesus? You just took a conversation from zero to a hundred without breathing, it feels. And this idea of repentance, where does that come from? Well, Jesus' cousin John was always saying that. He was saying, repent for the kingdom of God is near. And Jesus would continue to say this. He would say, hey friends, change. You need to change, or you could perish too. Now, repentance is something that the Bible makes a big deal about because apparently it's everything. It's everything. In fact, the Bible kind of illustrates it this way, that the human, that human actions require, that there's no human action that requires more of us. None that requires more than us of repentance. Why? Because how hard is it to change, friends? It's hard to change. And you know what it takes to repent? It takes a lot of humility to stop blaming other people. It takes a lot of humility to own our own junk. And you know, I talk as a, as a fellow struggler. It's hard with our own pride and our ego and everything that we have to come to a place of humility. So it's ne- it re- this is, there's no human re- action that requires more of us, but there's no human action that produces more in us than repentance. Friends, the freedom on the other side of it, is incredible. The peace that is available is intoxicating. It's incredible. Freedom and peace on the other side of repentance. See, the idea in scripture, and Jesus keeps illustrating, is that we've all been infected, all of us are. We've been infected with a self-centeredness and a selfishness, that the only medication for this infection is daily doses of repentance. But the problem is, we don't understand what repentance is often. You know, even that word is foreign to our modern ears. And if you even know the word repentance, you probably conjures up all kinds of negative images and even negative feelings of somebody wagging a finger in your face or pointing out something in your life. You know, it, 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 we think it, when we attach it to feeling bad or feeling guilty or shameful or even some sort of sense of self-loathing, But Jesus doesn't do that. Repentance starts or change starts when we realize that you deserve to have the tower fall on you. That tower of Siloam that fell on 18 people, that could have just as easily been you or I. In other words, we're all guilty. None of us are perfect. We are all guilty of not loving our neighbors as we've loved ourselves. Every one of us is guilty of loving what God gives more than loving God the giver. Come on. All of us are. All of us are imperfect people and we have this vision for us that trumps our vision for others. See, if you're going to have a vision for others, your neighbor, your city in this world, we need to kind of, to put it bluntly, get over ourselves. We need to repent so it doesn't control our decision making. See, The fact is, the Bible would say this, that we are radically self-centered and selfish individuals. Radically self-centered. Listen, when was the last time you saw a group picture and you're in it, who do you look at first? You go for you, right? If you look good, it's a great picture. But my eyes are shut. It doesn't matter. Be quiet. I have a great look on that You know, we're very self-centered people, radically. And it affects and it drives and it controls our even our decision-making. It controls our thinking, and that controls our behavior. And repentance starts by recognizing we all deserve the tower to have fallen on us. That none of us are perfect. In fact, if you're with other people today, just maybe outside, this is very cathartic, be good for you to just say out loud to the others around you, I'm not perfect. And then you could take your finger and point at them and say, and you certainly aren't either. We're all in this together, every one of us. We all deserve that. Listen, you can see this level of self-centeredness in our culture right now. How many of you have seen people congregating and you know they shouldn't be? Just this week, I saw about 15 people playing cricket in the park across from where I live. And you, you know that they were young. And, you know, I get it, and I'm not picking on young people. I'm just saying that sometimes you might think, well, I'm young and healthy, what's the big deal? No thought of the fact that you might get over this quite easily. It might not be any more than a cold for some people, but some people with underlining health problems, some people that are older, you might pass something on that might cost them their life, but we get so self-centered and we think of just ourselves and taking care of our needs, we lose the vision for others. Daily repentance is what places the light on what God wants and what other people need. And it takes the life off of what we want all the time. And repentance is beautiful because it allows us to get our eyes off ourselves and to begin to serve others. And this is the second part of developing a vision to serve others or developing a vision for others. It starts when you realize that Jesus came to serve you. How humbling is that? Jesus came to serve you, friend. And we, in turn, we get the privilege of serving other people. And Jesus tells a fascinating parable, a little story that we're going to end our time with that is, I, I, I'm just blown away with this story, and I hope you will be too. He begins to tell this parable. He says, then Jesus told this story. A man planted a fig tree in his garden and came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it. But he was always disappointed. Finally, he said to his gardener, Listen to these words, I've waited three years, three years, and there hasn't been a single fig. It's an interesting start to the story. I find it interesting that Jesus says that the owner visited this tree, he's waited for three years for fruit, and there's not been any fruit on the tree. These three years parallel Jesus' three years of ministry here on earth that he's about to wrap up and conclude by dying on the cross for humanity. And he said, listen, for three years I, I, I have invested in a tree. i planted a tree. Uh, you know, I've had you as a gardener watering this tree and there's been no fruit. Have you ever felt like this owner? Maybe you've invested in people. You've invested in things. You've invested in si- systems. And it kind of feels like fig trees without figs. There, there seems to be very little return for your investment. And you might be at home right now and you're struggling. Maybe... Uh, the proximity to the people around you hasn't grown your affection for them, maybe it's highlighted the fact that what you have is lacking. And maybe it's highlighted the fact that there's a lot of figless trees. There's a a lack of fruit in our relationships or a fruit with our neighbors or others. Maybe that's getting highlighted in the season. Listen, being a follower of Jesus doesn't insulate you from figless moments. We all have them. There are people that you will be giving to and generous to, and they're gonna let you down. There are people that you will invest in, and there's a very poor return on investment. Very poor return on investment. And you're going to want to act a lot like this owner does in the story. He says to his gardener, Three years I've been waiting for fruit, there's no fruit, and here's the solution. He says this cut it down, cut it down. It's just taking up space in the garden. How many are like that? How many of you are like that? You know, it's easier to reach for the axe. Maybe it's uh, uh, cut her out of my life. Uh, cut him down. Cut him down to size. Because for many of us, the solution and the way we want to solve our problems is through amputation. We often try to solve these problems by amputation. I've seen this. I've known people. I've known people who were so generous, and it was almost a gift of theirs to be generous to others, but they didn't sense there was a reciprocation, so after a while, they just cut it off. They cut it off. I've watched people uh, cut people out of their lives because it was just easier. It was just easier than trying to repair something. I've watched people who I think just had a gift of serving others, but they got tired of feeling like a doormat, and maybe even assumed upon, so they reached for the ax to kinda cut it off, cut that off, and I get it. It's easier, isn't it? Just to cut your losses and move on, move on from that person, move on from that problem, just move forward in life. But if you're gonna develop a vision for others, you gotta realize that people are not robots. Not everyone has the capacity or the ability or the sensitivity to respond to your generosity in a way that reciprocates always. So how do you develop a vision where the first thing you reach for is not an ax in our relationship with others? Well, Jesus gives us a better next step. Let's go back to the story. He says this, the gardener answered, sir, give it one more chance. Give it one more chance. Now, if you got any questions for me about this message, jump into the chat room because at the end of the gathering, Pastor Matt is gonna do a little Q&A with me. So jump in and ask your questions now so we're ready for you. The gardener answers and responds, Sir, give me one more chance. Leave it another year and I'll give it special attention and plenty of, can you say that word with me? Plenty of fertilizer. If we get figs next year, fine. If not, then you can cut it down. It's a fascinating story here. He's saying, Listen, why not instead of reach for the axe, let's go for the manure? Let's go for the manure that Jesus is advocating for that. Now, I brought in a wheelbarrow full of sheep manure. This is sheep manure. Uh, You can see it here, but you can't smell it. I can both see and smell this. Manure is, it's offensive. It smells, it doesn't look great. That's why we do everything we can to hide manure. I mean, it's disgusting. It's refuge, It's, it's garbage, it's leftovers but every farmer knows that there are enzymes in this manure. There's microorganisms living in it, and that from death can come life. That this is the stuff of the resurrection. This is the stuff that brings life. Most of us are trying to get rid of it, and farmers are spreading it. But here's the problem with manure. And the gardener says, this is a solution. But we want to reach for the ax because manure takes time to work. You don't apply the manure and spread it, and all of a sudden it starts working and growing great things or beautiful things. It doesn't work that way. It takes time and patience. And friends, those are two things that you and I don't specialize on. In fact, uh, I think that's why we reach for the ax. The ax is just easier. Cut the tree down, clear the land, plant something new. New is always more exhilarating. We can trade in a relationship for a new relationship because it has that sense of new. We love new babies. Nothing better than a new baby. A new job. We love the exhilaration of new. And manure provides no exhilaration. There is nothing glamorous about manure, friends. There is nothing dramatic. There's nothing that makes you go, wow, we get a chance to go spread manure. There's nothing like that. That's why the axe is so appealing. But Jesus illustrates here, and through the gardener, that manure is maybe the best first response. What if in this season, especially as you're spending moments confined together, what if you saw changing the diapers? What if you saw being patient with a spouse that's always getting stressed out and you have to talk of a ledge and it starts to get hard? Or what about that needy person in your life that keeps calling or needing contact in the season because they're feeling all alone? And there's a part of you just going like, come on. What if you thought of every time you washed the dishes and nobody thanked you? you? You cleaned the house. The laundry gets done and folded and nobody seems to thank you. What if we thought of those less of needing reciprocal moments and more of spreading manure? That what we're doing in those moments is we're spreading things that will bear beautiful things in the long run. It's not dramatic. It's the unglamorous stuff. It's the sometimes the dirty work that brings the most beautiful things to light. This is why at our church, we often illustrate and highlight onechurch.to slash serve. It's because we're a manure type church. We really are. We're in it for the long haul. We're not in it for immediate results. Raz, baz, boom, bang, we get instant results. We're long haul people. We want to be a church that specializes in spreading manure because I believe this with all my heart, friends, all my heart, that Jesus isn't looking for superstars. He's looking for manure spreaders. He really is. People humble enough to roll up their sleeves and say, get out of the way, let me get to the dishes. What can I do to serve the people around me? Uh, We say this all the time, even on staff. I don't want anyone on our platform unless they are willing to humbly serve behind the scenes and care for people in ways that don't always get acknowledged. So you can go to onechurch.to slash serve even today. We're actually taking names of people and uh, we don't have anything for you right now, but we will get to you if you sign up today. We're anticipating, we're gonna need to be in moments where we care greater for the church community and our city around us. We may need to be delivering groceries to people in short order. We may need to be helping out. We'll never ask you to do something public health is not saying that you should do. But you might say, listen, Jonathan, I have some time and I'm willing to roll up my sleeves and I'm willing to leave groceries on someone's doorstep. I'm willing to serve people around me. You go, go there and sign up and be a part of that team ready to bring love and impact our city for good despite what's going on around us. Uh, one of my favorite music producers is a man named Brian Eno, and he's produced a ton of great music over the years. And he was once interviewed, and he asked, what do you wish people knew about beautiful music and beautiful things? And he responded, he said, I wish people understood that beautiful things come from manure. Now, he used a different word, but I'm using the word Manure. The beautiful things. Beethoven just didn't think up a symphony and it just kind of came out on paper. It came from sometimes dark and difficult places and it comes from sometimes smelly places. Beautiful things grow on the backside of that. And Jesus knew this. Isn't it interesting that Jesus comes to change this world? And you already know this if you know the person of Jesus. He's incredibly fond of the minute, the quiet the small, it's the salt, the yeast, and the seeds, and the light, and the manure that changes the world. So in Luke 13, Jesus is headed into Jerusalem for Passover. He's headed towards the cross, friends. He walks into the sounds of Hosanna. Within hours, people are shouting, crucify him. People are saying, cut him down. People want to take the axe to Jesus at that moment. And how does he respond? He responds to the people who have crucified him and put him between two criminals on a Roman executional cross. He responds with these words, Father, forgive them. This is powerful, friends. Powerful. Don't miss this. If you're tuning out, make sure you listen to this. That word forgive is the same word that is mentioned in Luke chapter 13, but you didn't recognize it. Because it's the same Greek word, but it's showing up different in the English language. In the Greek, the word is ephos. And it means in Luke chapter 13, the gardener says it to the owner. Says, leave it alone. When the owner wants to take the axe to the tree that's not bearing fruit, and and the, the gardener says, no, 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 no. Forgive it. Leave it alone. And his words deflect the axe from the tree. And Jesus uses that same word and his words deflect the acts that we deserved, the judgment we deserved and he took it for us. He took it full bore on himself and he said basically, Father, leave them alone. I mean, unreal friends. This is why Jesus would teach us to pray, Father, Forgive us of our sins. What's beautiful is Jesus is proactive in the way he gives us forgiveness. Do you ever notice this? He gives the forgiveness proactively. He says, Father, forgive them for they don't even know what they do. I wonder how many times if we were, let's say, this confinement time gets extended somewhat eventually someone's going to get on your nerve. I mean, if you live with young adults or others, they know how to press your buttons better than most. But you'll be doing dishes again, or you'll be folding clothes, and they're clean, and they're put away, and people just miraculously assume this just happens by some fairy by themselves. But, but it's you who's doing it. And you're going to wonder where the thank you is. What if, what if we remember Jesus in this moment, remember proactively? Maybe they don't know what they're doing right now. But we have the opportunity to extend grace. And here's what would be helpful. Every time you're doing the dishes and it's thankless dish work. Every time you're making another meal and people just kind of expect you to be the one making the meal. Every time you're earning some cash right now to sustain the family and you're hustling and you're working hard and people just assume you should be doing this Uh, every time you do. What if you thought less about the acts? How do you cut them down? (laughs) How do you make some noise about this and more about spreading manure? And your prayer was simply this. Jesus, help this manure moment bring something beautiful out of this moment. Here's how I'd like to end our gathering. I want to pray with some of you who might be online and you'd say, listen, I'm not a follower of Jesus or I don't even know if I am. But man, that's the type of man I want to follow. I want to orientate my life around him. And for others, I'm gonna lead us in a prayer of repentance because we need daily distributions of repentance. I'm gonna invite every one of you to pray with me. But let's pray right now. If you wanna follow Jesus, I'm gonna say a prayer and I invite you to pray with me. And my words aren't magical, but this is an opportunity for you to respond and your words mean a lot to God. So I'll give you some words and if they're helpful, you use them. Jesus, I thank you God for... The fact that you would go to the cross for me. That you would take the acts that I deserved. And in turn, you would give me what I don't deserve, grace. So Jesus, I ask you to forgive me. Forgive me of the times I've not loved my neighbors like I've loved myself. Forgive me of those times, God. Forgive me of those moments, God, where where I've never even acknowledged you. And if I did know of you, God, I ignored you or I was angry at you. God, just forgive me for hurting your heart. And God, forgive me for the times I've not loved myself. For the ways, God, I've damaged even my own self through my behavior and actions. Through the little script that I replay in my head. And I invite you to come into my life. To fill me with your spirit. To change and flip the script of my life forgive me and lead me. And Father, all of us agree in faith together. We pray, God, whoever prayed that prayer for the first time, may the love of Jesus just erupt in their hearts. And may they know how much they are cared for and loved, that you, they have been on your heart and mind for eternity, God. At this moment in 2020, through this digital means, God, has become transformative, and it would change their life forever. And then, friends, I'd invite you, everyone else on this line, I'd invite you to say this little prayer of repentance I prepared for you that I'd love you to say out loud, even with others in the room. This is healthy for us, friends. We should be doing this daily, just getting ourselves off, our minds off ourselves, and putting it on Jesus and God and what he's done for us, and on others. So if this prayer is helpful, you say this out loud with me, even if you're with your family, say it out loud with me. Oh Lord Jesus, go ahead and repeat those words. Oh Lord Jesus, make me happy happy enough in you to avoid sin. And make me wise enough in you to avoid danger. That I may always do whatever is right in your sight. In your name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.